Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, the SEC championship is set. Mm-hmm. Georgia, LSU, the 2019 rematch officially official. Last Saturday was division title day. This Saturday was officially official day. I don't know. I don't really have a good name for it, but... Brian Kelly is going to an SEC championship in year one. The first SEC mm-hmm. coach to do that since Jim McElwain. Jim McElwain. Mm-hmm. Very good. So that that just means that he's destined for success. And maybe a certain photo will go viral in year three. And then it's going to be the beginning of the end for him. And no, I'm just kidding. Listen, it was him, Gus, and McElwain. Three legendary dancers, if nothing else. Very true. Great point. Great point. <laughs> And he's dancing year one because mm-hmm. there's nobody in their right mind, myself included, who had LSU going seven and five in year one of the Brian Kelly era, who thought that they would be a division champ. They are six and oh, five and oh, I should say, in the SEC West. And they are going to an SEC championship to play Georgia, presumably with a shot at the college football playoff, assuming that LSU can get through Texas AM in the regular season finale. We have a million things to get into, including a lot more stuff on LSU. Full slate, no bye weeks, seven mm-hmm. SEC games, including me burying the lead, by the way. Vandy, pop more champagne. Vandy. Oh, let's go, Doors. How about it, man? Vandy wins an SEC game in the 2020s, just like we all said that they would eventually uh, in time, I think. Mm-hmm. Definitely not. Um, but before we dig into everything else, you know that we talk about Texas Pete, our presenting sponsor, each and every week. I am so, so excited to have all of this Texas Pete in my house. The possibilities of what I can do for dinner in a given week are absolutely endless. I have been just downing that popcorn. It's incredible. Second to none. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go on to texaspeat.com. Get yourself some Texas Pete cheddar popcorn mixed in with their little Texas Pete dust. It is second to none. So good. It's my go-to snack right now. If you don't somehow know, Texas Pete has the spice and flavor that's kicking this football season up a notch. If you haven't tried the original hot sauce or their new traditional barbecue sauce, run. Do not walk. Grab yourself a bottle today. Visit texaspeat.com for recipes and hot apparel. Plus, take 20% off your entire order with promo code Saturday Down South. That is all one word, Saturday Down South, all caps. Win big with Texas Pete when you sauce like you mean it. All right, well, let's start with Bama and Ole Miss. Bama comes into this game trying to trying to end the streak mm-hmm. and by god they did and by streak we mean bama losing streak of course <laughs> it's over yeah listen that would have been a day on fine mom if they lost two straight but those guys could not handle one straight. <laughs> I, I would have just texted uh danny brams fine mom producer just thoughts and prayers uh right. prayers for your monday man um no uh bama's able to win this game and Unbelievable pass breakup by Brian Branch on that last play. Very well defended play. Lane sends the play sheet flying and not in a good way this time. Saban throws his arms up. He celebrates. Bama beats a top 15 team for the first time this year. First time Bama beat a top 15 team on the road since Florida last year. Which is man, kind of wild. A noted top 15 team. Yes, of course. Everybody remembered that Florida was number 11 in the country and definitely worthy of being in the top 15 um, mm-hmm. and playing for bowl eligibility in the regular season finale. Um, it's interesting because that's that's when we started to kind of be like, huh, so Bama looks really vulnerable against what we perceive to be lesser competition. 
And at this point, we know that that's just kind of who Bama is. And mm-hmm. we know the the stat that we always bring up on this podcast, that Bama in a one-score game in the fourth quarter against SEC competition, that has now happened 11 times in 15 chances since the start of 2021. That will never not amaze me. Mm-hmm. I actually watched this game, and I maybe you'll disagree with this. I watched the way that this played out in the second half, and I thought Bama kind of flipped a switch that it didn't really have all year. and. Didn't do it until it was too late, of course. Not too late in this game, but too late in, in terms of the course of the season. Mm-hmm. At least not against anyone halfway decent, right? Like not no offense to three win AM or five loss Arkansas or Quinn Ewers list Texas. But did you mm-hmm. feel like that was in the second half watching what Bama did to rally back after being down 10-0? A little bit more of the Bama that we have come to expect pre-2021. Yeah, man, it was day one in my life of me being a Bama fan. It was a really fun experience. And it was great because I was like, oh, this is where we turn on the switch here. And it matched my expectations. I was very happy. To your point, it looked like not some classic beat you by 30 Bama team, but a Bama team that at least knew, was aware that it was Alabama and playing Ole Miss. It was like, you know what? We're not going to go ahead and lose this game, actually. (laughs) Yes, and the irony, of course, Bama coming back and winning this game is that it clinches a division title for LSU, and Mm -hmm. Bama essentially eliminates itself from the playoff because that's what was going to happen when LSU was able to take care of business against Arkansas. But, you know, I I sort of rolled my eyes when it was 10-0 and Bama falls behind early, Mm -hmm. and I was I was glad that it became a game because I would have been upset at the notion that Bama losing or simply trailing throughout this game was the byproduct of them not having effort. Mm-hmm. And instead, it did not play out like that at all. Like <clears throat> if Ole Miss completes that pass, Jackson Dark completes that pass, Jonathan Mingo and Ole Miss wins that football game. We're not coming on this podcast saying, ah, you know, what? I don't know that Bama really cared. It's like, well, mm-hmm. they might have gotten off to a bad start, but they absolutely cared in that game. They just might not be a very good football team, which we're, we're allowed to say that, you know, like there's there's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with that. Defensive line looked great. Bryce Young got some help from his receivers, uh, though I'm not sure why Jermaine Burton is interacting with a crowd after scoring a touchdown. Not sure that he should be the one interacting. We love Jermaine Burton interacting with a crowd. Always goes well, really. Yeah, uh, just maybe maybe just don't wave to the crowd. Just just turn around, you know, dap up your offensive line, whatever you got to do. But I don't know. I'm not going to tell tell somebody how to celebrate their moments, but that just, mm-hmm. I don't know, just didn't feel right. Maybe, maybe just punt on that. We even saw Bill O'Brien commit to the run game in the mm-hmm. second half. And he said, Jameer Gibbs, we don't need you. Crazy, crazy. He didn't play in the entire second half. Arguably, wow. Bama's he, second best offensive player. I was looking for it, but I was, it was one of those things. Every time, I, I know the other guys are good. I'm not dumping on them. Every time I see a Bama back that's not Gibbs, I'm like, why isn't that Gibbs? Because Gibbs is just good at everything. Like, he's a guy that will play breaks down. He's good. If you hand it to him, he's good. Even as a blocker, he's surprisingly good. And, like, I like the other guys. I think at any other school, they'd be great players. But, like, you're right. It's like I was looking for him, and he wasn't there, and it didn't really matter because they were just pushing the pile. And I don't know if that was done – because, oh, yeah, you could look at the box score and be like, well, he got off to a slow start. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, he had, what, six carries for three yards? And and you look at it then on the surface, you say, he wasn't getting the job done. It's like, well, or he just was part of this game plan of maybe running to the outside more, giving mm-hmm. Bryce Young that, that kind of dump off swing pass. And we didn't want to see the offense rely on that. And they wanted to focus on some of that between the tackle stuff, which... Jason McClellan, that's kind of what he did. I mean, he wasn't going to mm-hmm. bust through any long runs. I think his longest long run of the day was like 13 yards or something like that. But he had the the 19 carries for for 84 yards, whatever it was. 
And Bama kind of got back to actually having some of that that toughness, that that identity, which they needed in, in that spot. But I think above all else, because that wasn't a vintage running performance, the reason why it was kind of the pre-2021 version of Bama was because we saw some discipline, not not total discipline. A little discipline as a treat. A little. The, the <laughs> okay, you give Turner. your cat some salami. They had a little bit of discipline. <laughs> yeah, you're not giving your cat a whole salami sandwich, right? I don't know who these sickos are out here doing that, but it certainly ain't me. <laughs> the, the Dallas Turner face mask. Oh. So bad. I, I, I get secondhand neck oh. trauma from watching that. Terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, I actually I actually agreed with Gary. I didn't think it was malicious. I always think you can gauge a guy, gauge a lot from a guy's reaction to that play, which if you look at what Dal- like Dallas Turner knew immediately he did something wrong on that play, which you could say, yes, it's a dirty play. Why doesn't he just let go in that spot? You, we watch it in slow-mo, and that's a really hard play to kind of be like, oh, yes, I am doing something wrong, and this is why I should let go, when in reality, you just think you're trying to get a piece of the quarterback and try and pull him down on a third and 18 play. It looked really bad because it was really bad. And Jackson mm-hmm. Dart's a tough dude for being able to come back from that. But I didn't look at that play and think, oh, Dallas Turner is automatically a dirty player. He did a dumb thing in that spot, obviously, and it cost Bama. And that was their biggest moment of kind of being like undisciplined. Did mm-hmm. you look at that and think to yourself, that's a dirty player? Or were you kind of more of the impression of like, dude messed up? Okay, so this is me. I've said this before. I've never been in this situation where I'm sacking Jackson Dart. So I can't be like, of course, obvious. But well, in- I have. So let me tell you about it. <laughs> yeah, in fact, I am an expert. Let me good glad, glad you brought it up. It reminds me a bit of a check swing. It's like, okay, hmm. I forgive you for grabbing the helmet and starting to pull, but when you whip his head that 180 degrees, I feel like on some level you're like, this is a face mask, isn't it? I feel that I'm not in the head hole, which I don't know how you would be, but you're grabbing something and twisting it is my only point. What could that be legally? Yeah, I mean, but at the same time, like as an as an edge guy, you're just taught get any piece of the quarterback you can get get, get any piece whatsoever and try and bring them down. And sometimes when you reach out like that, you're grabbing a piece of their shoulder pad and mm-hmm. you're trying to swing them down and and you're doing you're doing everything you can to try and impact that play. And clearly, like, you know, obviously, if you could do it over again, you just guy just would have let go. But mm. as dirty as that looked, I didn't come away from it thinking Dallas Turner, bad human being. How dare no, you? No, yeah, not a bad spot. human being. Just like in that play, it's just going a little bit too hard. And we've talked about it before with these players. Like we talked about in the last podcast with the penalties. It's like, why did these players commit penalties? They're trying a little bit too hard. That's really yeah. what that is. And the dirtier, the dirtier play, in my opinion, was I can't remember who the old Miss receiver was. who just got decked and then they just didn't not- call pass interference. <laughs> Dude just got tackled in the middle of the field and Jackson mm-hmm. Dart throws his arms up. He's like, if that's not DPI, then what is, man? The guy just murdered my receiver on the field. Oh, I thought you meant in the end zone. There was one after a touchdown where like they did like a shove shove. I forgot who started it, so I don't want to blame anybody. But you just see the slow cam and a dude's just like falling down. <laughs> okay. Way too physical. Way too right. physical. They're getting Let's, chippy out there. Yeah, getting chippy. Let's just all dial it back and dodge. But yes, the the some discipline that Bama showed resulted in five penalties for 45 yards. That was the fewest penalties mm-hmm. and penalty yards that Bama's had in a true road game since 2020 against Arkansas. I mean, that's what we've been talking about, and that's why Bama didn't give that game away. It mm-hmm. wasn't just Bryce Young having to be heroic and save the day, and obviously he made some incredible plays, and he's still Bryce Young. I love that he was laying into dudes down 10 to nothing in that game, and he comes back on that very next drive, and it looked like that, that pass that he threw to Jermaine Burton was like he was trying to throw the ball 105 miles an hour through his chest. 
I mean, that was a rifle that he threw to be able to fit in that window in that spot. And credit Jermaine Burton for being able to come up with that play. I think there are a lot of guys who probably drop a, a ball that's got that much mustard. But Bama needed to get a little pissed off. All right. Mm-hmm. If you've listened to some of the things that former players have said, and I know Touchdown Alabama had that video on YouTube where in a certain Bo Scarborough kind of went off, and there were some guys that were saying some real harsh things about this team. Maybe mm-hmm. harsh isn't the right word, but um, I, I'd say – some very critical things of Bama in this current identity and them being mm-hmm. soft to see them actually kind of get pissed off that they were in that spot and to, to fight back and to not just be like, Oh yeah, national championships off the table, division titles off the table. Let's what are, what are we doing? And I guess they still technically had a chance at the division title. Did they at that point? Cause LSU would already no, yeah, they LSU was done. So yeah. yeah. No, so Bama was eliminated from that, and they could have just mailed it in, and they didn't. Um, Saban said afterwards, that's the identity that they're looking to to reestablish. And go figure that, I mean, Bama winning meant that Ole Miss's division title and playoff chances now off the table. Ole Miss could even get left out of a New Year's Six Bowl because you have four SEC teams that are in line ahead of them. So they they could be end up end up in a Citrus Bowl, an Outback Bowl, something like that. It wouldn't be particularly surprising. I realized they were just in the Outback Bowl a couple of years ago. We don't call it the Outback Bowl anymore. You get what I'm saying. Um, mm-hmm. Anything we else? On ba- Wait, say it again. I said we do. I'm going to call that the Outback Bowl forever. Yeah, but you can't always- take away my bloom and onion. All right. How, how dare you? No, <laughs> this will always be our Outback Bowl, and we will always celebrate with either coconut shrimp or bloom and onion. And you cannot tell us otherwise. Corporate sponsors of America. Mm-hmm. Anything on Bama before I move to the Ole Miss side of this? No, I'm 100% with you, man. I think that this is a, a Bama team that, like we said, isn't good enough to beat teams by 30, 20 or 30, but you see that grittiness. And to your point, it's like this is who Bama is on the road now. You know, you take out Mississippi State and Arkansas, teams like that, that just kind of don't really schematically match up well with Bama, and it gets even probably more stark against SEC competition on the road. Um, and it's just, I mean, they know they're going to be in these situations. They know Bryce Young is going to have to make some heroic plays. That throw to Latu was insane. insane. I was like, like, I'm so in on Bryce Young as an NFL quarterback simply because Bill O'Brien puts him in these wild situations that he just has to make these like pro throw. Like his highlight reel of NFL throws is already way better than two and Max, not going to like slander them, but he's had to make so many incredible throws. And so, yeah, I mean, hey, (laughs) listen, listen, guys, they're just playing for those coordinators. The big takeaway from Bama is you got to keep Pete. And Bill O'Brien. That's my takeaway. <laughs> yeah, yeah to Bama's credit, I mean, I thought defensively after that first quarter where they got outgained, what was it, like 154 to 22? Yeah. I mean, they they actually responded pretty well. But Bama's able to, to come away with a much-needed morale victory. And mm-hmm. Ole Miss, on the other hand, um, I, this, my takeaway, and I'm going to I'm gonna say this with a bit of caution because I, I – and I – I have tried to give Ole Miss and Lane the, the benefit of the doubt. And I, I am one of those people that has said in the past, how can we say that that he has already reached his ceiling here? So I want mm-hmm. I want that context in mind because this is gonna sound this is gonna sound harsh. <laughs> this, this will sound not just critical, but this this is gonna sound harsh. I'm starting to think that Lane is never gonna beat Saban while he's at Alabama. I you really am, light. <sighs> I'm the starting to light. Feel, it's yeah. hitting you in the face right now. <laughs> it is. It is. Last year, you've got a top three, top three quarterback in program history, Matt Corrales. I think we slide him in right behind the Mannings, right? <laughs> I mean, I think that's fair. You're you're leading your team that has the the best regular season win total in program history. You're confident. You save before the game. Get your popcorn ready. We all have fun with that. Mm-hmm. But it, it blows up in your face if you're late. 
this year, you've got a new strategy, a little bit of a new strategy. You praise Bama all week. You talk about giving Saban the goat fuel. The back and forth that he had with Feinbaum on Friday was excellent. That, that's that's great television, great theater. I mean, like that that to me is just what makes Lane so unique in this sport is that he can have interactions like this and he can be as self-aware as he is. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you've got Bama on the ropes in this one. You've got him 10-0. And you've got the type of team that can play with a lead. You have this impose your will ground game. And they have played down, Alabama has, to so many teams this year. And you can decide in that moment, hey, we're going to take the life out of them. We can. They're coming off loss number two. We're going to see how much they actually care in this football game down the stretch. Now, I think they cared showing up. They didn't really look like it. But we can make them have a long afternoon because of what we do well, which is run the football. And at that point, it looked like they were really shutting down what Alabama was doing in the ground game. You're at home. The place is rocking. Again, you're up 10 to nothing, which isn't that much for when you're against Bryce Young. But still, at the same time, double-digit lead, feeling good, feeling like you got all the momentum and you're controlling the game. And that's with an Ole Miss team that's off to its best nine-game start since 1962. Shout-out to the Kennedy administration. Mm-hmm. John, by the way, I'm not telling we don't need to go down the road of other Kennedys here. Um, <laughs> you've also got a healthy Quinshawn Judkins playing at such a high level. You know that guy is pissed mm-hmm. off because he's playing against the Alabama team that didn't give him the offer, even though that was his in-state school. You've got a mobile quarterback who should make this a real challenge for Alabama coming off a game in which they chased Jaden Daniels all around the field and they couldn't contain him. You've got all these things working in your favor. And you blow it. Lane was pissed after, man. Like he was mm-hmm. pissed. This wasn't just, oh, ha, ha, you know, we, but this is why Saban is the best. He was pissed. He knew he let it slip away. And he got some heat for the lack of Judkins' involvement on the stretch, those last few plays, because he had the long run to kind of get him into the red zone. But I mean, dude was. And Lane brought this up, like he was gassed and not having a healthy Zach Evans who re-injured the knee in this one. That mm-hmm. really hurt them down the stretch because you put Jackson Dart in, in these obvious throwing situations. And I, Lane does not want him throwing the ball 31 times because he's such a maddening decision maker in the red zone. And mm-hmm. for, I, I've been banging this drum since like week two, week three, that he makes some just terrible decisions and there's a reason why he still doesn't have a rushing touchdown he's the he has the most rushing yards of anybody in fbs without a rushing touchdown i mean that's Mm -hmm. crazy so the and the fourth down stuff like we've talked about this with lane you live Mm -hmm. by it you die by it you do we play the results with it we always do that but lane went over three this year after he struggled with that against bama last year and he Mm -hmm. pressed in some of those spots and i think it was it was peter burns who's talking about it like or maybe it was CD who brought this up on SEC football final, but they just kind of seem desperate in those spots and not like desperate in the good way where you play with a sense of urgency, but just like, you don't think you're going to get down there again and you got to get this right now. And if you don't, the game's over and you're just kind of like, man, you need, you need points. You need points right here. And it just seems like lane against Bama against nobody else. Is he like this, but he just gets in his head. And I thought that was a rare borderline outburst from him in the post game presser. And it kind of shed some light on how much that is eating at him. And he he's talking about, you know, we didn't come here to lose to Bama. We we didn't. And and you're seeing that angst and that frustration with him that you typically don't. You just don't. And 
anyway, I, I don't like to speak in absolutes and I'll never say that lane is just going to never, ever beat Saban. I, like we shouldn't talk like that because things can happen and things change in the sport on a dime, but I'm definitely not holding my breath on it. I'm not. And I just kind of wonder if, if, if he's just always going to have his number and if Lane is just kind of always going to be like, man, I'm just one step behind. Is that fair or, or maybe a little bit too knee jerk reaction? Will? yeah, I feel like that's one of the things I love about kind of like how we've grown as a podcast is like, you know, the Lane stuff like I and like, you know, me, I play some of the stuff up like I go WWE style and I'm like too much of a hater sometimes just kind of for the bit. But like I, that was one thing we've disagreed on recently is about Lane and when the big games and everything. And I think that you're bringing good middle of the road perspective to it, you know, because I think at the end of the day, if you're Lane and like it can be both things, it can be that Lane has done a really good job based on his expectations at yep. Ole Miss that his quarterback play you know you, you talked about corral what he did with them what he did with this rushing like attack he's made Ole Miss cool in an era that you know coming off of the freeze stuff with Matt Luke and all that it was they were a little bit of like I'm not gonna say a laughing stock but it seemed like the NCAA had kicked them into the shadow realm and he has brought them all the way back and like that's really impressive at the same time these are the exact type of games that make me worry about Ole Miss at a uh, Lane Kiffin at a big job because I mean you know, you touched on it, man. It's like everything was going your way. You were at home. And then, yeah, to your point, you're in the red zone. You go no huddle and just run to the line on fourth and two and just run into the Alabama wall. Like there was no nuance. There was no, we got to understand the gravity of this call that we might need these three points later. And lo and behold, you lose the game by six. And I know that changes the script of the game. I know that changes everything, but it's just like, these are these moments with Lane that you're just like, you got to realize how to be in a big moment. And this isn't like some joke. You can't just go up there and be like, ha ha, we, ca we caught you, Nick. It's like, even this Alabama team isn't going to fall for that. And so point being like, I, I like I said, I want to give credit to Lane and all the things he's done at Ole Miss. While at the same time saying, you know, this is this Ole Miss team that has had his guys in there. He has his choice at quarterback, and we can make fun of Jackson Dart or not make fun of him, but be critical of him. But at the same time, you got to say Lane went out and got that guy. He had the you know young guy that we like Altmaier that we thought he could have developed, and he decided to go out and get Jackson Dart and start him over Altmaier. Went out and caught the rarest Pokemon, Zach Evans. All kinds of great Pokemon <laughs> traders have been trying to catch him, and he got him in the building. And still, you know what I'm saying? You got game against LSU, you know, which is obviously bad. No reason to get into that. You got this game against Bama that against, quote-unquote, the worst Bama team under Saban, like everybody is saying. You know, you got to the exact same point that Brian Harson did last year. You got to the same point that Jimbo Fisher did this year. You were at the goal line at home, and you couldn't make it happen. And so is that really impressive against this Bama team? We're starting to learn that anybody could do this to this Bama team. Yeah, and I, I think that we we praise Brian Kelly for being able to call timeout in that spot, that two-point conversion, and say, oh, actually, he didn't call but I think it was Bama that called timeout, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. But we praise Brian Kelly for being able to stare down Saban and say, I can beat you one-on-one, -on -one, mm -hmm. me versus you. We're, we're going to win this right now. And in Kiffin's heart of hearts, I truly wonder if he thinks that he can beat Saban. And maybe some of that is because he's seen how the sausage is made and he knows what goes <laughs> into his thought process and he he respects him almost too much. I mean, like, is there is there a point to be made for that and getting in your own head and having some of these moments where, man, you just feel like you overthought it and <laughs> Uh, you know, it's not like he he all of a sudden just bailed on Quinchon Judkins and did something that, you know, like guy still got 25 carries and was still yeah. such a huge part of this game. And we talked about we what a lad and what a fine by Lane. I mean, really, that's been the story of that Ole Miss team. Remarkable. I mean, if, if there's anything that Saban has or if there's anything that Kiffin has on Bama, it's the fact that like 
he he got Quinshawn Judkins out of Alabama mm-hmm. and, and is going to benefit greatly for that. But I just sort of wonder if if this is just kind of going to be how it plays out. We said the same things about Kirby. We said the same things about Kirby early on. He just gets in his own head and the Justin Fields fake punt and all these different things. But it begins to become not just, oh, this happened, this game, this happened, this game. It becomes a real thing. And I think now, at the very least, regardless, it's a thing. And Kiffin is going to have to coach against that no matter where he's at moving forward. Because Saban's not going anywhere, as far as I'm concerned, anytime soon. And Saban is still, I mean, he's either going to be at Ole Miss or he's going to be at Auburn. <laughs> and he's going to be somewhere and he's going to have to get over that hump if he's ever going to get to these levels, these national championship levels that I think he aspires to get to. Yep. Okay, LSU, Arkansas. Henceforth, we will refer to November 12, 2022 as Harold Perkins Day. Oh, man, that guy. I want to write that guy a thank you note. He saved my Saturday. <laughs> I just I just want to have a beer with him. And I know he's like 18 and he doesn't even know who MJ is yet. So I'm not sure what we'd even talk about or where we'd go. But, Blue game, Harold, bro. My God. Uh, they should definitely call it Harold Perkins Day in Arkansas because I'm pretty sure he just owns the entire state now. He might. <laughs> the One boot of, is just they should Photoshop Harold Perkins' face over that trophy. <laughs> yes, they should. A, a trophy that we didn't think could get any better probably deserves Harold per- Perkins' face tattooed onto that trophy that seems fitting with how well he played one of the most dominant games that you'll ever see from a defensive player and i don't say that lightly i mean truly that dominant four sacks two forced fumbles he has eight tackles in this one he had another sack force fumble that was called off because they ruled that the 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 arm was going forward i mean it was incredible absolutely Mm -hmm. incredible he's out here chasing down malik hornsby like it was nothing (laughs) Once Willie Corsby did not have a speed advantage, it was something he had never seen in his life, and he had no idea how to handle that. He was like, oh, gosh, that guy's faster than me. I don't have any plays for that one, bro. I'm done. I'm out of this game. Arkansas teammates call Willie Cornsby Tyreek Hill. Yeah. <laughs> He's legit, legit fast. And Harold Perkins is out here just chasing him down like it's nothing. As a true freshman to have a game like that, Man, it was incredible. And I got a little sick of hearing McElroy talk about how he doesn't even know what he's doing yet. And we're, we're watching this technique and the bend that he has coming off the edge. That's absolutely mm-hmm. ridiculous. An NFL level, like high level NFL stuff. And you're seeing all these people talking about it. And to me, I don't look at him anymore and think, oh, that guy is raw. And he just is out there. Just see quarterback hit quarterback. It's so much more than that. I mean, this guy's in freaking Bobby Boucher out here. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> I'm the water boy. Uh, What'd you, you say about <laughs> Although he does have the right, uh, I guess he's in the right place for that with the, the assistant, and the, you know. The, yeah. the, <laughs> it's anyway. just Coach O. <laughs> yeah, it's just Coach O on the sideline. Uh, I think Harold Perkins knows what he's doing. I'm just, just going to say it. I think he knows what he's doing. He, he <laughs> might not know who MJ is, but he knows what he's doing. That post game. that make you feel old, Connor? Um, It made me feel a lot of things. It did. <laughs> so if you guys haven't heard, what we're talking about is, okay, so Harold Perkins had the flu before the game. Brian Kelly was like, oh, Harold, a little bit of a MJ flu game. And he was like, who's that? Yeah. Um, I, so, again, a lot of thoughts on this. I there There's poss- there's the possibility that there was just a miscommunication with the reference. Maybe Perkins thought he was that Kelly was referring to somebody on the team that had a mm-hmm. flu game or something. And look, that happened before he was born. 
I'm trying to make excuses for him because you got to assume that Brian Kelly is messing the joke up. If you're Harold Perkins, you're like, what is he saying? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you're just like, this is the same guy that's, that's talking about references from like the 1960s. Okay. Like, right. Yeah. Surely this is just before my time. And maybe just brain wasn't quite computing yet. Maybe he had a concussion that he's working through. I don't know. Whatever the case may be. Um, I'm going to defend him and just give him a free pass on that because when you play like that, you can kind of do whatever you want, say whatever you want in a post-game setting like that. Uh, he knows football. He knows football. He definitely does. Mm-hmm. And I, I came away from this thinking, KJ Jefferson dodged a bullet. He did. Because if he comes out there with his banged up shoulder, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure Harold Perkins would have just ripped it clean off its limb. Okay. I, I mean, he was that disruptive. And poor Malik Hornsby just never had a chance. Cade Fortin provided a little bit of life with that touchdown drive where he finds that he he finds Landers on the left sideline. Nice play. And you're thinking, oh, we got a ball game here. But then Perkins just figures him out too. And it's just like, <laughs> bring out anybody. I don't care. You can bring, you can go back into the archives, bring Matt Jones out here. New friend, by the way, Matt Jones, going on mm-hmm. with him every every Monday in Arkansas radio. Interesting Shout dude. Out. We're gonna get him on the pod real soon. Um, mm-hmm. bring back anybody, doesn't matter. Harold Perkins will take them down. Doesn't matter. And you know what this sort of felt like? And I was trying, cause I was trying to come up with, with, with the comp of like, wh- what does it feel like to watch a defensive player do these things and, and throw out the age thing, you know, mm-hmm. true freshman. I, I don't care how old he is. This is just an unbelievable player taking over a game from that position, which we do not see that often. And that was the reason why these guys are paid so well at the NFL and why the draft is so high. But this mm-hmm. to me felt like a vintage Davion Clowney game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And they're not, they're not the same physically. I'm not saying that. I'm not making the comp that he, that, I mean, Klein, he's got about like 40 pounds, 40, 40 some odd pounds here, but just complete and total takeover. And so overwhelmingly obvious to anyone who's watching this game, no matter if you've been watching football for 40 years, or if this is your first football game that you've ever watched, it was so obvious to anybody who the best player on the field was. It's like, oh, that guy. Yeah, the emotion of fear is universal, isn't it? Like, you see how under Hornsby's skin, because you could tell Hornsby was like tr- trying to talk a little trash at the beginning. And then he like got to know Harold Perkins and he realized yes. how insane Harold It's the fact that Harold Perkins is smart and insane at the same time. That's what makes him scary. It's like LT. It's like, oh, you understand football on like a LeBron, not that he's there, but like on like a very high level, like naturally, you're just a, like, a, you get it. And then also, you're scary enough to understand, th- to take all that out, be like, oh, you know what? I can just close this gap. Maybe I have this zone but dude he stopped screen passes in this game like they put him in man coverage like on the outside because they had seen screen passes in film and like hornsby would like throw a little screen pass and perkins would just be sitting there on the screen i mean he knows malik hornsby's entire family genealogy by the end of this one and look if you want to say that there's an area where he's still learning how to figure things out it is in coverage i mean that that is (laughs) that is not necessarily his strong suit yet but like i tweeted this out before this game that he's the only he's the only linebacker in college football with a PFF grade above 84, both as a pass rusher and as a run defender. So like mm-hmm. dude knows what he's doing, but you see him in these spots and you see him just say, no, 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 this is this ain't happening on my watch. I don't care who what what scheme we're in i don't care if it means spying you or if it's me rushing off the edge he just found so many different ways to take over his skills as a spy man 
Those instincts mm-hmm. are so good. And we saw it against Bryce Young. We talked about it a lot this year. Talked about it against Robbie Ashford, of course. And, and the way that he is able to, and, and Jackson Dart as well, the way that he is able to take the take away the quarterback run game is truly incredible. And credit Matt House and that staff for putting him in the right spot because a month ago the dude was was not seeing the field a whole lot. And that has mm-hmm. changed in a hurry. They're like, you need to not leave the field. Who <laughs> <laughs> game? Oh, I, don't care. I don't care. You boot and rally on the sideline. It, it, we got some there. chicken broth over here and some Gatorade. You could just kind of double fist him if you want. <laughs> what was the point of the chicken broth that LSU had on the sideline to accompany the coffee and hot chocolate? Did we figure that out? I was so glad you asked me that question because I had the exact person next to me that I needed to ask that question to. And it was Peyton. They do that in the military, apparently. Okay. Apparently, the lads do that in the military. Whether it's cold and they're on long marches it like basically like rehydrates you get a little bit of protein like kind of just gets your juices flowing because it, it stays hot yes um speaking of the the weather of this game arkansas lost this game when it thought that freezing conditions were the best time to turn on the sprinklers that was that was when the l was established i mean i don't know who decided that how much experience that person has in cold weather mm-hmm. that was a swing and a miss big time that did not do wonders for the field. They had to kind of fix that right before the start of the game. Be like, oh boy, we we really messed this one up. <laughs> Crouch crew is like, oh oh, Crouch crew really scrambling in this one. Uh, but yeah, not an ideal day for Arkansas. And one of the great individual defensive performances that that we've seen in, in some time, in my opinion. SEC Network had the stat: four sacks, two forced fumble, and an FBS game in the last fifteen years. Perkins, part of this club, which includes uh, Josiah Stewart, did it for Coastal Carolina 2021. Chase Young did it for Ohio State 2019. And then Deshaun Hall did it for AM 2015. And now Perkins joins that club. Kids, just goes to show you, if you boot and rally, you can do incredible things. And pun very much intended. That's the lesson here. Yeah, I think... I think Harold Perkins definitely saved us. She's making it. They made uh, Jaden Daniels with a QBR of 9.7. That guy, I texted you, he was possibly a Russian asset on the day. I don't know. That was the classic Mike Dinbuck, Jaden Daniels miscommunication because Jaden came out through his second pick of the year directly to a guy with no one near him. It was one of the craziest throws I've ever seen because it was like, we literally talked about before the Tennessee game. You're like, I think he's going to take some chances and throw a pick. And he threw one in like garbage time in the Tennessee game. Like it really didn't even, it was like at the end of the game when they were yeah. trying to cut it to like a 30 point deficit or something. It didn't matter. This one was like, oh, this is in the first drive of the game. And you're giving Arkansas the ball at the 44 when they have a backup quarterback. Like, how did you see that? And like, it didn't really get any better. And then obviously Denbrock did his Denbrock thing and overthought it and was like, okay, boom, my quarterback's struggling. Let me run the ball eight times in a row, which is always funny to go fully from run the dang ball to please stop running the dang ball in the same drive is something i've never exactly experienced but i i just want to say yeah like arkansas on i think that we kind of saw hornsby's limits as a passer and i think that it took a player like harold perkins to make that happen yeah. because to their credit arkansas's defense played really well and i think LSU's often shot themselves in the foot as well but barry odom might have saved his job yesterday to be honest mm. because you think you think he's gone regardless i wouldn't i wouldn't say it definitively either way right. that sounds like a hedge i don't know that he's he definitely saved his job with that showing. It was a great showing. I mean, Arkansas right. did but a if lot he's of mid the it. rest of the year, it's like, look at the LSU game. We got something where yeah. in reality, like I said, Jaden was like fumbling the ball. He was just all over the place. And so point being, you know, 
going on the road. I had that joke about like I was telling you about with Brady with like they're throwing batteries. Like it's hard to win in every SEC environment because like every SEC environment, even 11 a.m., they're out there rocking. And that's why we love the SEC. And so like there's part of it. And I love that the narrative is now like since LSU is a good team now and they're like number seven, it's like they survived. And I'm like, wow, they were screwing around for the importance because I will be honest, that's what they were doing. But credit to Harold Perkins for saving LSU because their offense looked bad. Yes, it looks really bad. Jaden Daniels, uh, any chance that he had outside chance of Heisman, and even gone. if he goes off yeah. in Georgia, nah, that's gone. Um, 86 passing yards. Yeah, that, that will not be on his uh, future NFL draft film. Uh, that, that's not going to happen. Think about this. So we brought up before how LSU is now a win against AM from sweeping the West Jeez. in year one. Brian Kelly. So SEC coach of the year, it's going to be – if we had to vote right now, it would be impossible. It truly would, because how do you not reward that? And then how do you not reward Josh Heupel? And then how else? Like, oh, by the way, Kirby potentially Heupel. Beat Heupel. <laughs> beat Heupel. Hasn't played any, like that's he's perfect in his matchup. Destroyed Oregon and destroyed yeah with, with with a team that had 15 players lost to the NFL draft after winning a national title. Like, remember the timing of this award is significant. It's probably going to dictate how it's going to go. It's after the SEC championship. If I had to decide this this award right now, and if you're like, Connor, you got to hand this out. You got to give it to somebody. I would take out a dice. I would say Hypo gets one and two. Ker- uh, Kelly gets three and four, and then Kirby gets five and six. There you go. Whatever whatever it lands on, that's that's it. That, that is honestly what I would do because these three coaches have all made such a great case to be able to win the award. And I don't think it's split anymore. I want to say it's just AP that, that votes on this. I could be wrong on that. But I want to say that they stopped having the coaches also vote on this. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Um, but if, if that's the case, we could get a potential split. I don't know how this is going to play out. I really don't. And for those saying that it's Josh Heupel's to lose, man, like I just – I just told you why Kelly and Kirby have really good cases. And just because I, I think both of these, both both those other programs have shown exactly uh, why they're very, very good and um, very well compensated for that. Brian Kelly and Kirby Smart are. Yeah, I thoughts think like, on LSU? It's very easy to say like, yeah, well, Hypo beat Kelly really badly. And that did happen. I'm not taking that away. That was definitely, I won't say it's the low point because I'll say it was the low point. <laughs> it was the second low point, but point being like, I, I would also say that, you know, it's year two for Hypo. And also, I think winning your division, like, does kind of matter. And so I think that Hypo, I would still probably put him as the favorite. But to your point, I think it's up to Kelly. If you can find a way to at least, you know, make it a game with Georgia, maybe that puts him right back there. That game is going to be so wild now because it's like, hopefully, like, for the sake of college football, because, again, nobody's rooting for Jimbo at this point, hopefully that they just handle business against AM and have, like, a good game against Georgia. And I think that would be really interesting, especially with a couple of these teams looking shaky. Kind of in that little mid part here. Yep. Think we're thinking maybe, you know. Yep. Yeah, we'll we'll have, I think, three SEC teams that have playoff chances going into conference championship weekend. Mm-hmm. That's what we're talking about here. Crazy, crazy, crazy scenario that could play out. Um, okay, one of those teams, number one, Georgia, Mississippi State. I was once again wrong about Georgia. Mm-hmm. I was, Will. I said that the dogs would win by 30 and they only won by 26. <laughs> Well, there was that wild play in the half. Let's be, let's keep it a buck here. We love weepins here, but let's be honest, that wasn't on Georgia's defense. Great point. Great point. Georgia's defense only allowed one touchdown in this game, right? And the the punt return that was just a weird decision from Kirby to to get a little bit greedy at the end of the half, and and they're able to to kind of climb back in. Um, I, look, 
ends up being a 26 point game. So uh, I'll take the L on that one. I guess uh, I make mistakes. You know, who doesn't make mistakes? Lad McConkey. Not anymore. At least not anymore. Yeah. He's a reform mistake haver. He is really is turning it around 115 scrimmage yards in the third quarter alone. I mean, he was all over the place. That long the run that he had. rusher and receiver on the number one way undefeated SEC yes. team. Lad McConkey. That's what yes. we all expected. One carry. That's all that, that it took for him. They got him free on the on that end around play with Darnell Washington doing some lead blocking that made Kirby nearly kiss him on the mouth. That play was significant because it was the first minute of the second half after Georgia had the blunder with the, the punt return touchdown for Mississippi State, um, where Kirby got greedy and and so you got the, the place rocking, right? You're thinking, okay, if you're a Mississippi State fan, we have a chance, and that's all we can kind of ask for in, in this game. And a lot of, I'd say the vast majority of college football teams probably would have tightened up and made that a 60-minute game mm-hmm. on the road against the mm-hmm. defense that we respect. We respect the three-three-five, of course. Um, and Georgia did not tighten up at all. I, I thought Stetson played a mostly solid game. He's still turning the ball over a little bit more than you'd like, but – the fake that he had on that rushing score was nasty. Mm-hmm. I mean, nasty. He's done that three or four times this year where just for whatever reason, he has these unbelievable fake outs on the goal line. <laughs> and he just leaves dudes in the dust. Like that's when he flips the switch to what's when, when, when he has the fade, what is he? It's just like a nasty crossover. I mean, that that's what it is. And he just kind of laughs as he's going into the end zone. Um, no, I don't think Stetson is, is winning the Heisman, even after Bo Nix watched that dream die on Saturday nights. And here's How about why. our Huskies. Wow. Purple and gold respecters. Michael Penix. Shout out. Yes. Indiana. Indiana legend. I was rooting for him all night, bro. Yes. Great to see him, uh, ball out in the way that he did. So if you're, if you're sitting here saying, well, why can't Stetson win the Heisman? He's responsible for 21 touchdowns this year. It would be a little bit too Troy Smith-ish for my blood to reward the quarterback on the number one team in the country when, look, Georgia fans, come on. Like, Stetson has not been the best player in college football. You guys can admit that, okay? We can all admit that. He is not. He's been good. He's been really good. And that's that's fine. And you're going to be set up well. And, I mean, if you're picking anybody to win a national championship right now, it's Georgia versus the field. That's fair. That's perfectly fair. But he is. Who do you think is the best player on Georgia right now? There's still five uh, hours. When healthy, when healthy, Jalen Carter. Yeah. Jalen Carter. He's the difference in that pass rush. He, mm-hmm. You you see it these last two weeks, man. And he had a sack last night that was just like, oh my god. Yeah, he sure did. As soon as he said that, I was like, yeah. He he changes so much of what they can do, and, and I think him being at a hundred percent is just like. That's that's the the common link between this year's team and last year's team on defense. Mm-hmm. And, and I, like I think almost it. Him I, I just and, don't uh, Ringo. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and Ringo's 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 a really nice player. I guess I'm always just going to be a little bit lower on him. I think he's a he's a little bit handsy, and I kind of question if he's truly the lockdown that some have made him out to be. Obviously, the, the best player, the best. No, I'm just player. saying they're like the only like leaders, quote unquote, that are back. There might be like a guy or two here, but like basically all the leadership left, and those two yeah. dudes stayed, and they just kept trucking. Yeah, I, I would say I would give Jalen Carter a slight edge over over Bowers, uh, which is a crazy thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and and look, Brock Bowers still unconfirmed human being. We're still not totally sure yet. Um, I haven't seen him bleed. Somebody's gonna tweet me a picture of him with like blood all over his face, being like, "He is a man." See, 
He's carrying he's three people in this picture. He looks like that Y.A. Taylor picture. Yeah, I think, you know, there's not something to take away from Mississippi State, so we can just talk about Jordan for a second. Uh, the thing that they do that I love, man, is they'll, they'll get a Brock Bowers touchdown early. And it's so great because, like, for me, you know, you'll be sometimes they'll be in kind of like an early window and you'll throw in the game and it's like a couple minutes, like two minutes into the game before you can kind of find it and everything. First highlight I'll see every time is just Brock Bowers mossing on somebody hitting the end zone. It's like, oh, here we go. It's like that's part of their game plan to get him involved early to really demoralize them and make them cover the space alien. It's it's not like they get away from him after that necessarily, but they're like, ah, Brock Bowers and everybody else starts scoring. It's really cool to watch. We do respect Zach Arnett. We do. I, I want to yeah. make that perfectly clear. But if your defense leaves that man as open as he was on that play, yeah, dunce cap for the rest of the game. Yeah. I forgot Brock Bowers existed. Dunce cap on the sideline. I don't care how that works <laughs> with a headset. You're rocking that thing. You, mm-hmm. you just are. You got to kind of own that. He is, I mean, he and Darnell playing at, at the level that they're playing at is just, it is ridiculous. And you can you can even kind of forget about them in the passing game for like a quarter or two. And then they'll do something that you're just like, oh, that's that's silly. That's, that's oh, not God. Eric Gilbert's going to walk into the SC championship game like The Undertaker isn't he? You're just going to hear like glass. Yeah. <laughs> He's back. Oh, my God. Revenge <laughs> game. Gonna... Wait, what's up? Revenge game for him. Yeah, exactly. He's going to just have 200 receiving yards and be sitting there like, of course. Yes, why wouldn't he? Yes. Um, Crazy to think that Kirby has now won 25 consecutive regular season games, and 21 of those were by at least three scores. Man, I mean, that is incredible. Again, we were talking regular season games. Bama fans don't get upset with me saying that. Right. We came into the post buy stretch for Georgia, saying that we were really going to find out who this team was these these next three four games here, and so far that has been a twenty two point win against Florida, a fourteen point win against number one Tennessee, and a twenty six point win at Mississippi State. Now they go to Kentucky, who just lost to Vandy and doesn't have a prayer of blocking Jalen Carter. Jalen Carter might have six sacks. He might. He very well could against against that Kentucky offensive line. Like Kentucky I mean, line about to be putting in PTO requests. They're about to be working from home. They're like, I don't, you know, I don't really want to see that guy. Actually, I think I got the flu. Yeah, like, can we test you say. for the flu? No, no, you don't got to test me, bro. That's HIPAA. Just let me. I'm good. Yeah, great week to have the flu if you're a Kentucky offensive lineman, man. I would not want to go against that Jalen Carter. They're just going to unionize. Like, oh, we're God. not going out there. We're not. Playing, we're not this is not what we signed up for. <laughs> we cannot. One one quick thing on Mississippi State. Some bad officiating in this game. Definitely bad officiating. Leach had the great soundbite at halftime, sharing his displeasure with the fumble that was ruled dead. That should have definitely been a fumble. There was a pass interference call in there. They were just like, no, that definitely should not have been called. Georgia got bailed out. But one offensive touchdown for Mississippi State. That's the third time that's happened in the last four games. And the lone game that didn't happen was the near collapse against Auburn last week. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I'm just excited now that – the the silver lining of Ole Miss not having playoff chances again, like I, I'm not rooting against Ole Miss or anything like that, but the egg bowl needs to just be unpredictable chaos. And we are now setting ourselves up for that. That's all I want every single year with the egg bowl and what's going to happen in that game. Don't know two teams that could play in a very back and forth game that can be all over the place, quarter to quarter, half to half, whatever the case, but that's going to be great. And I'm already looking forward to the egg bowl because it's great. Mm-hmm. Okay. This, um, not Mississippi State, Mizzou. Mizzou went on the road to Tennessee, and um, this was a confirmed bounce back game for the Tennessee offense. Not a mm-hmm. get right game, not a get right game because we respect Mizzou's defense. We do, but a bounce back game. Mm-hmm. 66 points, Tennessee record 724 total yards, 38 Woo! points. 
in the final 24 minutes. When Joe Milton <laughs> is out here dropping deep balls in a bucket, you can do no wrong. That you're, It's your day. Okay. We were watching that game and Peyton like saw the stat like across. He's like, well, this backup quarterback might be really good. I was like, brother, I got to tell you about the unguided missile Joe Milton. He's out. He listened. He has one job and one, one job alone to hit Bob. <laughs> if, if you walked outside in front of your house and said it like we've made, we've, we've made a decent amount of Adam Sandler movie references this episode already. But if you walked outside of your house, like that, do, like the, the guy does in happy Gilmore and, <laughs> and he's just outside of his house all the way down the street and he gets the window shattered above him. That would be Joe Milton throwing you the football if you just yep. walked outside of your house. But that throw was ridiculous. No, yeah, like when he has the deep ball, he has it. Like he's yes. yeah, he'll hit it. Uh, they they got their explosiveness back, and that was the good thing for for Tennessee in this game that, that you wanted to be able to see going into this home stretch. That little wrinkle that Heupel and Golish drew up to get the man in motion coming in from the left side, and Hyatt is lined up in line, but behind the line of scrimmage. And he just has what looks like a wheel route where he's wide open. And it's like a walking touchdown from 50 some odd yards, whatever it was. I mean, just incredible to see that scheme and the way that they're able to constantly just draw up these looks. And you're reminded of what makes this offense so good because Mizzou actually got some pressure on Hooker early. And mm-hmm. as crazy as it sounds, I felt like this game kind of went how I thought it would because it's getting close to the midway point of the third quarter. And we're like, uh, Tennessee, you're, you're on a four point game. It was 20, mm-hmm. 24, with nine minutes left in the third quarter. And Mizzou was just kind of hanging around, hanging around. And then Tennessee just flipped it into overdrive, did what they've been doing all year. And when they don't hit you for those big plays, which that became a constant in the, the second half of this game, where they had four plays of 40 yards against the Mizzou defense that had only allowed five such plays all year. But when mm-hmm. they don't hit on those, you've got Hooker out here high-stepping guys. Like, he's doing that a lot. He mm-hmm. loves the high step. I think he's a little addicted to it. We, we talk about Lane being addicted to the fist pump. I think Hooker's addicted to the high step. You see, that's the thing about Hooker is like Hooker's like like fast, but he's not like you know like Lamar Jackson fast. Like he's like he's like a decently mobile quarterback, but he's a little bit better as a passer. And so him having that little bit of hezzy to his game, where you kind of see him coming and you miss, and he doesn't have to like spin you out, is actually a really great arsenal for him. Yeah, and and I talk about how much I love his his basketball like head fake that he does. Mm-hmm. It's great. I mean, yeah. it, it's awesome. He's got some craftiness to his running ability. That's kind of old man at the gym esque. Yeah. Right? He's got that slow mo to him. Yeah, yeah. Just, just he can do enough to get his defender off him. A little, little, little fake, and he gets that separation. That's what he does. And you know, I, I thought what was cool to see outplay with this game with Mizzou actually showing a pulse offensively for a little bit for enough time is that Hooker pads the Heisman numbers that. That was a huge gain to be able to, to to bounce back, especially knowing the pace that he's going to probably have to keep to hit some of these benchmarks. He's now at 29 total touchdowns, 3,293 total yards. He's probably not going to hit that 40 touchdown mark pre-Heisman because he's not going to get an SEC championship. But I think he still has a chance to win the award. I, I think that is still on the table for him, depending on how things play out. I mean, if Georgia wins an SEC championship, and Clemson wins the ACC championship and Drake may doesn't have the Heisman case. And maybe he has a bad game against that really good Clemson defense. Then hooker has a chance. Stroud is obviously going to be in the mix. 
Mm-hmm. And he's going to have the benefit possibly of a Big Ten championship facing who knows? I, I Illinois, maybe, probably. Yeah, just pick your, yeah, that's the best. I guess that's the hardest they could face. And I guess Burt lost last night, right? I had to turn that game off. It was making me sad. Yeah, they lost to Purdue. <laughs> so my, my... That was the game that was on in front of the UCF game. I was <laughs> trying to watch how I missed the whole first quarter of the UCF game because they were just showing Burt lose for like, 30 minutes. It was yeah. insane. Anyway, <laughs> I had my father-in-law, my father-in-law always, uh, he's, he's, he's a Purdue fan and he'll always text me like right after a Purdue game goes final. Mm-hmm. And sometimes like, cause I'll, you know, I'll be following along, but I'm going to be honest with you. Purdue ain't making the cut when I'm watching TV yeah. and he'll kind of inform me and he doesn't call him Purdue. He just calls him P. So he'll say like, P looked awful today. Or like, I love that. He looked incredible. And I, I, I'm i like, oh, so I, I see what Purdue did. Excellent. And then I'll look back. I'll kind of like look at the way that things played out. I'll look at like some tweets or something like that. But like, yeah, man, just week to week, Jeff Brom, you just never know what you're going to get. He's all over the place. He is. Interesting week for P. Always. Yeah. Always interesting week for P. Um, but yes, uh, Will, any problem with Tennessee throwing bombs, still trying to score touchdowns instead of kneeling it out? No, I mean that's the hypeful thing, right? He was the he was the coordinator at Mizzou. We saw it with Drew Locke, and that was the kind of the whole like, oh, and they're fa- I'm not gonna say their fans turned on him necessarily, but they kind of had like a rough stretch at the SEC. He had those like he had like an eight touchdown passing game or something early in the season against like nobody with yep. Drew Locke, and then they kind of fell off a cliff as the SEC. And like a lot of Mizzou fans were like, oh, you know, hypo is why we're bad. And so you know, you get a head coaching job at Tennessee, and you get the number you know, five ranked team that used to be number one, and you gotta throw some bombs. You know, you'll put in the backup to throw the bombs but the bombs will be happening yeah and look i think i think there there's a there's an argument to be made there where after milton drops it in the bucket there you could you just kneel it out but at the same time i was thinking that spot i'm like all right what 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 could be the the ulterior motives for that and i don't think it's like something where against mizzou against electric woods he's already trying to make a statement i think he's realizing okay I just I just had my team get humbled offensively. I want them to feel as good as possible. I also would like to show to the selection committee that my team just had a day against a pretty respected Mizzou defense who hadn't allowed more than 26 points to an SEC team all year. And they hit mm-hmm. 66. I mean, that's a lot. And considering what they're trying to do, trying to boost their resume as much as possible, I don't, I don't think the selection committee is necessarily going to be like, oh, they scored 66 points and not 59. Here's their spot in the college football playoff. That's not <laughs> the way that this works. But at the same time, I always think that every little bit helps when you're talking about the eye test and you talk about trying to get that sort of respect, especially when you're a team that hasn't been there and you're trying to show why you're worthy. So I give them a little bit of a pass. I get why I'd be a little bit frustrated if I'm a, if I'm a Mizzou fan. But I mean, they put the backups in too. Like, right. Yeah, exactly. It's like, if you can't stop Joe Bill, no, you'll feel bad for you. Come on. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of on you. Um, but anyway. Um, oh, one last thing. Rick Neuheisel needs to stop trying to make Brady Cook early Bo Nix comps. Not a fan of that. Not a fan of that. They're a year apart in age, by the way. So I don't know what he's talking about. And they're really not that much alike. They're, they're not. Like, if you see the way that they function when they're at their best, I just don't think that's the case. Um, not- Bo Nix is at worst uh, a mobile quarterback. Brady Cook is arguably a no-threat quarterback. I saw he that the man. wheels in this game a little bit. But... Oh, my gosh. He had 100 rushing. I'm yes. sorry. My apologies to Brady Cook. I just <sighs> saw... Whenever the game got close, I was like, let me dial in. And I saw him underthrow a man in a five-yard slant on like third or fourth down and i was like this boy <laughs> i'm sorry like I just, that was kind of where it swung it, poor guy you know 
Brady Cook does not have Bo Nix level talent. If you want to yeah. say he's a poor man's early Bo Nix, I, I guess, maybe, I, I don't know. And somebody's going to throw like some numbers at me to show why they're the same. I'm just talking about like watching them play football. Right. They're very different people. Yeah. We've seen a lot of Bo Nix playing football. So I think we can make a fair assessment on that. Um, Tennessee is still going to be fifth in the playoff poll on Tuesday night, barring some sort of shocking development. But that Oregon loss was one of those much needed dominoes that Tennessee got. And mm-hmm. you didn't want to have. To, to be waiting on that domino to fall going into conference championship weekend. UCLA, I stayed up late for that one too. They lost to Arizona, which mm-hmm. game, oh my God, Chip Kelly, that, that, that is a, you talk about blown opportunities with Lane, man, that mm-hmm. is a blown opportunity to not be able to take care of Arizona at home. And remember, USC is not even going to play for a conference title unless Oregon beats Utah, which don't sleep on my Utes. Lock of, lock of the Utes. week. Lock of the week hits again. Let's Damn. go. How about it, man? Mike Dinbrock, Connor O'Gara, just undefeated in the last six. Crushing it. Don't look at my picks on the SDS social that, that continue to come out. <laughs> and I could troll Listen to the words. Not, don't look at the graphics. If you're an audible learner, we got you. It has gotten so bad with those that every time I go on uh, SiriusXM with, with Hester, he will bring up my picks and how bad it was. And he keeps his own stats of how bad I am in my picks. And he's not even following along with our graphics anymore because it's more satisfying to him to be like, oh, what did Connor miss this week? Mm-hmm. It's bad. It's really bad. But lock of the week couldn't be better. Could not be better. Right you need now. to just keep your own lock of the week stats that you need to counter with that when you go on that show and be like, look, this is I'm trying to make people money. All right. Yes. I need to have an asterisk when the graphic comes out that says on my name that just goes to the bottom where people can see. But Connor's eight and three in lock of the week. Mm-hmm. Pretty good. Pretty good. Let's take a quick break. Talk about our friends, our new friends, Underdog Fantasy. That's right. You know how sports betting isn't legal in all these states like Georgia, Alabama, Florida, South Carolina, et cetera. In other words, uh, most of the SEC states. I want to talk to everyone about Underdog Fantasy. You've seen them out there. You may have tried Daily Fantasy in the past, but Underdog is a new platform that's extremely popular right now, and they have some awesome college football contests where you can compete for real money. It's a great way to scratch that sports betting itch. We have an exclusive arrangement with Underdog. If you go to saturdaydownsouth.com slash underdog, that's saturdaydownsouth.com slash underdog, you can automatically double your deposit when you join. Sign up, throw in 50 bucks, they'll throw in 50 bucks on top of that. It's a great way to to get some money playing with these contests. So what does it look like for college football? Every week you can pick higher or lower for different players. For example, Stetson Bennett, higher or lower, 200 passing yards. It's pretty similar to sports betting player props. Very, very similar. You can put real money on the line. And yes, this is legal and live in states like Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Texas. So again, if you're like one of these states that's just not able to be able to get into the mix, you can do underdog fantasy. Okay, so I just looked at some of the, the, the higher lowers on underdog. You have to pick at least two um okay here are the ones that i like for monday night football if you're listening to this on monday morning maybe you're driving home from work monday afternoon um spoiler alert a couple of sec guys of course we're taking the overs on these that's what we do jalen hurts Devonte smith 285 and a half total yards for jalen hurts over guy's gonna win the mvp this year over all day Devonte smith a little bit frustrating as a fantasy owner or somebody who had him year one of a keeper league and then yeah things didn't really work out very inconsistent but that Eagles attack going to be high flying on Monday night. I think they will. A lot of attention on AJ Brown. Over 51 and a half receiving yards. Sticking with that. Okay, guys, that's it. Underdog is awesome. Super fun. 
Super fun to be able to do while you're watching college football, any other sport in your living room, you can win some real money. Go to saturdaydownsouth.com slash underdog. Take advantage of our promo where underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. Yes, you can get up to $100 free saturdaydownsouth.com slash underdog. All right, Will, the rest of the SEC slate. South Carolina, oh, bloody dud at Florida. I watched this game and it felt like two quarterbacks going in opposite directions. Mm-hmm. And two quarterbacks that have been kind of in the same discussion, I, I think, throughout this year and no more after seeing that the side-by-side with them. Anthony Richardson on the up and up. Spencer Rattler is regressing. He is. Mm-hmm. Some of that is... I, I, I think you could point to outside factors, circumstances beyond their control that have led to those things happening. And some of that is just on them. It, it just is. I think Anthony Richardson is playing the best football of his career. I said that coming into this game, he is still not ready for the NFL. And if you're looking at these games saying, oh, no, he's really figured out. I, I, I'm not there. I, I would truly hate to see someone leave early when he's already reportedly a millionaire. You see that on three story with him? Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, he's, he's made over a million dollars in NIL money. He's not hurting for that. If he comes back, you know that money's going to be there for him before he's he even stupid plays. stupid marketable. He will be wherever he goes. That's one no thing doubt. about him. No doubt. And that's that that changes the conversation how we're able to talk about this, in my opinion, right? Because mm-hmm. before in the past, I'm always like, I don't want to tell a kid that he should definitely come back when it's like, I don't I don't know his financial situation. But with, with a guy like that, when you, you mm-hmm. could get millions of dollars and get everybody in your life taken care of, I just think... Again, and I realize NFL money is different than NIL money, but right. I'm just, I think that's something. But that's, Billy that's Napier what... could be better than a bad NFL coach. That's the thing. Like, True. this is a really good offense to like grow him in. Whereas, like, if you go to like some random place in the NFL, they might not have that same interest in you, bro. Agreed. Absolutely agree. I think he's going to get more of what he needs at the college level, and I'm biased because I want to see the guy play another year because we see when it's good, and when it's good, it's it's fun to watch. And I think he's figuring some things out. I think his footwork has gotten so much better. It's not lazy anymore. He squares up his shoulders. He keeps his eyes up. He senses pressure. He doesn't predetermine reads. He is truly becoming just a better overall player at the position, and it, it's worth watching. I told people a few weeks ago that – He's not appointment viewing because he does more good things than bad or he does more bad things than good. But mm-hmm. you're going to see like if he makes an unbelievable play over the course of a game, he's going to go viral. So, again, you don't need to be like totally locked into everything that he does. But he's he's definitely getting closer to being appointment viewing because of how comfortable he's starting to look, especially on play action. Granted, it helps when you run the ball like Florida does, which mm-hmm. man. bro. Ooh. <laughs> that 85 yard run where it doesn't take much that was that looked like jameer gibbs that's that's what that looked like to me where mm-hmm. he you don't need a whole lot of space for him and man he he's got that explosiveness he's got that burst he's just he's fun to watch and as frustrating as it is to watch montreal johnson get triple carries that he did um i'm still just gonna say that i'm happy for the future of trevor Etienne. I, I love watching him run and i love watching that florida offensive line florida all of a sudden in the trenches looks like a team that could actually hang with good sec teams like mm-hmm. i'm not saying that they have good enough trench trenches play to be able to beat georgia because we saw that play out a couple of weeks ago but just like wow this this team is actually kind of imposing its will and on the defensive side that defensive line desmond watson come on now ball carrier desmond watson Ball carrier extraordinaire, Desmond Watts. I shouldn't mm-hmm. say that. Uh, the PFF grade for his ball carrying skills, not going to be great. Um, but, but he him, tried his best, and that's why we love him. Yes, we do. 415-pound Desmond Watson says, Jaheim Bell, 
Give me that. Give me that. <laughs> I saw some people hating on him because he technically gets tackled by Spencer Rattler in that spot. And they're like, he's twice the size of him. I mean, he's like literally twice the size of him to be able to do that. I'm going to defend my guy here. He didn't really have his legs under him. Wasn't in a power position. If he's in a power position, Spencer Rattler is just, you know, little little gnat on the old shoulder there. Just flick him right off. Right. No, Should Spencer no. Adler play defense? People are asking quarterback, not going great right now. Maybe he needs to think about it. I don't know. A little switch to linebacker. Come on. You know, maybe. I, look, I, I think may, I, I think that rather in the way that this has played out is so frustrating. It, it really is. I, I'm trying to be, I've tried to, to, to give him the benefit of the doubt. I, I think I have, but when you watch a game in which South Carolina's only touchdown was Beamer ball because Kai Kroger was willing to target the all bang, the drum team extraordinaire DK joiner, mm-hmm. you're like something, something's wrong here. Something's very wrong. This is the second weekend of November and we're still having these conversations. It's no longer, ah, you know, I just getting some time in the offense, still figuring th- some things out. Like brother, the more time Marcus Satterfield has, the worse it's going to get. You guys remember me on this last podcast. Be like, yeah, you know, maybe South Carolina can get a little bit feisty. That was the wrongest thing I, I said. All I, I was very wrong. I think the COVID brain fog is getting to me on picking these games. I'll say yeah. it, but, <laughs> but listen, I was, I was so optimistic, but again, Beamer ball, special teams, you know, uh, defense like they have kind of a team but that Marcus Satterfield offense does not give you a chance to win the game and on like a weekend you know that my Shanahan slander has never been higher because the way Kentucky played and the way South Carolina these teams are getting worse not better and it's like you watch Billy Napier who makes things easy for Anthony Richardson and then you watch Satterfield who has a quarterback who is obviously in his own head and it's like you know what we need is another corner route where the guys have it read out because we keep running them and so they're just looking at the quarterback waiting for him to make his first read it is insane that they keep trying these same concepts with these same players anyway or let's make our tight end our elite Swiss Army Knight tight end Swiss Army Knife tight end a running back let's do that because that's touches and that counts, right? You're not going to get well, out. We said more touches. touches. This is not what we meant anyway. <laughs> I mean, I, they're not winning that game if they have Marshawn Lloyd. That, that certainly didn't help the fact that, that he was out. And it's it's so frustrating because I just want Marshawn Lloyd to stay healthy. I just want him to stay healthy. But yeah. that South Carolina offense is, is just so bad without him. And this isn't, this is no longer is Shane Beamer going to keep Marcus Satterfield? His days are numbered. They absolutely mm-hmm. are. You can't convince me otherwise. But it's now a question of what does he do with the quarterback situation? Because Rattler's got another year of eligibility left. He could technically come back if he wanted to. I don't know what those offseason discussions are because if I'm if I'm Shane Beamer, I want to move on to Luke Doty. I do. I want to give Luke Doty a better chance and to, to be able to run this offense, whatever this offense is in 2023. I want to give Luke Doty the keys to it. And I'm like, this this just didn't work. And how do you how do you handle that situation if Spencer Radler just says, Yeah, man, uh, I'd love to be able to come back and, and work with your next offensive coordinator? You're like, oh I mean, I think as stupid as it sounds, like you have to like prioritize that number one in your next offensive coordinator hire. Because if you mismanage that situation, you could literally win two games. Like you could literally like if you pick the wrong quarterback, if you send one guy on their way and the other guy isn't good, or if you did whatever you do, if you don't understand that you're in that exact situation, which is that like you could really make me a pitch of like we've seen Spencer Adler play good football. We know Marcus Satterfield is an enemy of the state. Maybe if you put in another coordinator, he could figure it out. But at the same time, whenever you get that coordinator, 
coordinators. Like first thing that quarter that coordinator needs to do is have a binder like Coach O did that just says, here's my plan for the quarterback situation. Because that's really all yes. I want to hear. Because they have all these great skill players. So it's like, that's really what you're hiring as a quarterback coach at this point. It's a defining decision for Shane Beamer, how he navigates this. Because it, it, it is unique. It is not easy with trying to figure out what to do with Spencer Rattler because he's he's still, in my opinion, the most talented quarterback that they've had walk through those doors since they've been in the SEC. But it has been a failed experiment. It has. And I've, I've been a defender and I can no longer stand by and idly pretend like this is just a guy learning a new offense or it's strictly the byproduct of a bad offensive line or a bad coordinator. Mm-hmm. Everything's bad. Everything's yeah. bad, and this offense is terrible, and that's why they have to do stuff like this and have Kai Kroger throw it to DK Joiner on a fake punt, and that's why Shane Beamer is over here like, huh? All right, me and me and Pete Lembo, we're gonna we're gonna sit here all week, and we're gonna plan our best offensive play, and we're gonna come up with it. And um, Marcus Satterfield just gets nothing. What are those offensive meetings like when you come back and you're like, hey, we dialed up a touchdown, you didn't. I that would pay. For, I've said this, and we've talked about this. I would pay for a premium service of just watching football meetings after moments like that, where it's like, oh, before, where it's like, brother, what do you, what is in your notebook? I need to read your notebook and see what you've written down because it's yes. not out there. Whatever you have, whatever you think is not real. <laughs> okay, so this was a passing of the torch game, and here's what I mean by that. Oh boy, South Carolina was the ultimate good vibes team this off season. Mm-hmm. Might Florida be oh, the ultimate good vibes team again. coming into next year? Florida is a good vibes team every offseason. <laughs> not entirely true. Credit Card 9 would disagree with that notion. They were not a good vibes team That's going into 2017. That's a really good point. Yeah. And the, the shark year, I get it. But bad vibes last year. Bad vibes last year, too. Coming into the Billy year? Oh, before the Mullen year. Yeah, before, before the, the Mullen, last year. Mullen year. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Vibes haven't always been immaculate in Gainesville. Yeah. But I mean, they're now bull eligible. So mm-hmm. they're sitting there at six and four. They have a, a a chance at eight regular season wins. That Florida State game looking better and better. Florida State playing really, really well right now. Um, so not mm-hmm. a given that they get that. But they have a path to a nine-win year one if they're able to get a win in a bowl game. And if they do that, and if Anthony Richardson comes back, and they have a lot of returning production, I'm just saying. And they did that, by the way, without two of their best receivers. Justin Shorter wasn't even out there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, gosh, I'm blanking on who. On, they had another receiver that was out in this game. But nonetheless, I, I continue to be like, all right, Florida's actually improving and they're actually showing why they made this investment in Billy Napier and why this is a program that looks like it is figuring a few things out. And that's Getting program that's like- vibes. Day one of program vibes. Seems like they're building something. And they got Rashada. Come on. They now. got Rashada too. Remember Come us freaking now. out about Miami paying all this NIL money? <laughs> well, Miami offered this amount of money and this is why Florida will never be anything in recruiting. It's like, well, uh, let's let's just wait till signing day and let's wait till somebody inevitably comes over the top with an NIL offer. And by the way, if you're a Florida fan saying, oh, Miami just offered him the bag and Florida didn't. It's like, we, we talked about this with Jimbo Fisher. Let's all just be okay that everybody's offering money. All right. Yeah. Let's, let's accept this. You don't want to have a broke contest. Don't be pocket watching. That's weird. Um, yes, it, it gets in, as long as you're in the top level. You got to understand you can pay. We we're just talking about the rich or with uh with the nil stuff. It's like you're from your destination, man. It's fine. It's sometimes you guys just want to go to a And M in Miami for reasons we don't understand fully. Anyway, it's the Sunshine State. Will. It's lovely down here. <laughs> no state income tax. Exactly. That's what it all comes down to. No state That's what brings them together. Anyway. Yes. All right. A And M in Auburn. If you listen to the last couple of pods and you haven't really watched Auburn to understand why we keep talking about Cadillac Williams. I think Saturday night provided all the context that was needed. Unbelievable scene that it was at Jordan Hare after that one, a sold out game 
for a couple of three and six teams. The Sickos Committee Game of the Week sellout. I bet that's the first sellout for the Sickos Committee Game of the Week. It's got to be, right? Man, there have been, because I think uh, Florida FSU was last year. I don't know if that was a sellout, but there have been some uh, interesting Sickos games so far. Was the else. was the Northwestern Nebraska game? <laughs> uh, I'll say it in Spanish for you. No. No. <laughs> um, wait, unless it was because it was at. It was oh, in those. Oh, that's right. That's right. No. Okay. That couldn't have been a sellout. Wimley's pretty big. Uh, yeah, they probably didn't feel that. Anyway. Yeah. Um, wait, no, it wasn't it because it was in Ireland. Oh, you're wow. Disrespecting the Irish on this year's podcast. My bad. Anyway, I dare you. I dare you. Um, <laughs> but this game was dreadful offensively. I mean, th- this looked like a game in which neither team could complete a forward pass. I, it truly looked like a game that was being played in 1965. In- Grit is what I call it. Old school football. There was. Call it, call it that if you will. But none of that mattered. All that mattered was Cadillac gave Auburn fans something to cheer about. His energy, his passion for the program, the way that he talks about Auburn and how much it means to him and how much it means to him to be in this spot, like his willingness to, to, to pay homage to, to the guys who helped him. Mm-hmm. It, it's just so fun to watch. It is. And, and seeing his emotion with Cole after the game, and even seeing Cole get emotional. Mm-hmm. Cole's not an emotional guy for those who yeah, know him. Um, That's the thing. Auburn just makes people feel that way, bro. The people that really care about Auburn, like they talk about like the family and everything. And I know Bama fans are rolling their eyes right now, but it's a big deal to those guys. And to see a guy playing Auburn football like this late in this disastrous season. And I talked about it. I was wrong, to be fair. But with Mr. I was like, oh, it's going to be tough to watch kind of like not playing Auburn football. Brother, this was some 2003-esque football this boy was playing the football that cole kubik was blocking for <laughs> yeah what was it i think uh was it justin hokinson who had the stat it was like robbie asteroids completed 11 passes in the last six quarters of football or something like that you know <laughs> he's doing his best he won uh, that's wins are a qb stat now so yeah Unless but it, it, yes of course of course look, look, we can't put it all on the quarterback Come on now. <laughs> no, just a kid out there yeah <laughs> But just it was amazing to see the entire crowd staying afterwards and their their swag surfing. I mean, mm-hmm. just oh, after a horrendous football game that was so bad. And I mean, their team couldn't stop turning the ball over. They, they turned the ball over what like four times in this game, and they gave A and M every opportunity possible, and it did not matter. And it comes down to this: sometimes it just feels good to feel good. Mm-hmm. Words to live by, because if you told a person who had no idea. What had gone on with Auburn this year? What had gone on with anything related to Brian Harson or anything like that? And they just tuned into that game. They're like, oh, these guys are having a ball, man. Mm-hmm. This just looks fun. This is, we talk about good vibes. These vibes are, th- th- this is a fan base who truly cares and they truly want to make that place special. And, you know, I, I come back to this and there's a lot of people saying, how can you watch that game and not hire Cadillac Williams as your next head coach? All these different things. I get it. I get it. I don't think that should be the takeaway. I think he is mm-hmm. serving an incredibly important purpose for this program that is going to impact them in the short term and the long term future. They're trying to hire their next coach. And the question is is anyone going to want this job that is high on our list, right? Like that that's that's the question that's being asked about Auburn at this point. And we we talked about it with Matt Hazel. Who, who's gonna want to who's gonna want to sign up for this? And, mm-hmm. and you could say that because of how unique this situation is and and what we know about Auburn brass and all those different things. But you see, those Auburn fans take so much pride and they care about 
things being done the right way or what they feel like is being done the right way. And they mm-hmm. still would have cheered for Cadillac, even if they found a way to lose that game. Right. And yeah, mm-hmm. it helps that he's an icon and he's one of their own and he has truly embraced everything about what it means to be of that place. And he is, and he said afterwards, as they're all chanting for him, I mean, who wouldn't want to come to Auburn? Auburn is going to be okay. It ain't dead, baby. It ain't dead. We coming. <laughs> God, I love him. Yeah, dude, to your point, it's like, you know, that we saw those fourth quarter teams with Harson where it just looked like very, everything was very tight. It felt like a drill. It felt like major pain. You ever see major pain? I love major pain. I watched that with my oh. buddies when we went to uh when we went to Denver and mm-hmm. we had like a we had like a day where, you know, had a few pops. We were out basically the entire day. <laughs> and we come back to the area. I could chill throwing a movie like that. Yeah. Throw out it's a major pain. It's it's That's a great exactly, late night movie for that. That is how Auburn looked. Like when they first lined the kids up and they were like, Do I have your attention? That's what the Auburn sideline look in the fourth quarter under Harson. And like under Ken, like to your point, it's like even though they they functionally weren't even really playing much better, they believed and they were all on a good page. And you can always see in games like that what the vibe is. You know, we've seen it kind of in Alabama and they've had these tight games where they start to feel tight. You see it with LSU and with Auburn where it's like, we believe, we're vibing. This 10-13 game is exactly where we want to be. This is our happy place. Let's go, boy. And, like, that just matters. I hate to say it, but, like, the players believing and buying in and feeling like we're doing our best, and if we do a little bit better, we get that three points and we win. That's what, that's what it's about. It is. And you see Cadillac – Get his first career win against Jimbo. And the side-by-side there, oh, man. Um, Really, really bad. Really bad. Auburn, $92 million facility that just opens up. A&M, $95 million coach that looks like he has totally lost his way and is – seemingly out of answers at this point. When and, you put Jimbo in terms of real estate, I feel like that's a really good metaphor. When you're like, you know, you could build kind of like half of a skyscraper for this if you really try. Like, <laughs> Jimbo is the person who buys a $10 million home and puts a lot of these things into it and very, custom details, custom details, right? Mm-hmm. And then five years in, they're like, ah, this really isn't fitting my vibe anymore. I'm going to put this back on the market. And they put it on the market for like 12 million bucks. And then they're like, oh crap, we're going to get like 4 million for this. Yep. And this is, we're eventually going to have to cut our losses. And they're not going to cut their losses this year because why would you pay $86 million and think that this is all of a sudden going to change? It's not going to. But you see already why this is such a, a different situation and why it matters who you have in the head coaching position. It, it just does. <laughs> and I'm not saying that that means Cadillac is a better coach than Jimbo Fisher. That's not what I'm saying that. But the fact that his team, despite turning the ball over four times in that game, giving A&M all these opportunities, couldn't get the job done. I I just don't know what else you can say right now uh, about Jimbo because that was, oh man, that's a tough, tough look for anybody that has been defending him for such a long time. The fact that Cadillac steps in there and Clearly, I mean, gets the upper hand. And I realize this game that's decided by three points could have gone either way, but still, bad luck. Bad, bad luck for Jimbo. Yeah. Uh, the way that you just described that house, it reminds me of the house. Birmingham people will understand this reference that Richard Scrooge built, and he did exactly that in the middle of Alabama. And I've never thought to compare Jimbo and Richard Scrooge, but it actually makes a lot of sense when I think about it. Anyway, Texas AM is the highest ranked team, number six, to miss a bowl. Preseason, Gosh. number six. Miss a bowl. Can you look up what was 2005 Tennessee? 2005 Tennessee. Good question. That might take a minute. That was just a 24-7 sports thing. But 
That's yeah. The, Alabama has one of those, but they were like not that high. Yeah, I think. Uh, let's see. Oh, they were number three. Wow. This is uh, apparently 24-7. Let's see. Is it preseason? No, wait. This team, I don't know how 24-7 got that wrong then. Because Tony Wright, 24, because they were number three going in the UAB and then they lost. So, you know. Oh, since Texas in 2015, they had small print oh, under. My gosh. bad. My bad. Since Texas in 20, they did the little caveat that we're famous for. So my bad. I have fake news to all of you. There is, you're right, 2005 Tennessee is number one. And then we have uh, Texas in 2010, which obviously fell off. And then we have Texas A&M. So the, that's the company you're in. That's the way we could frame it. Not great. Not mm-hmm. great. Two things can be true at the same time with A&M. Disastrous, wildly disappointing year that should have everyone asking questions about Jimbo Fisher as even a decent coach in this sport anymore. And it, it's, again, when you lose a game like this, given what Auburn has been dealing with, given the losing streak, how bad their offense is right now. Tough look, very tough look, mm-hmm. but the A&M injuries are staggering. I mean, they're bad, really bad. Three starting offensive linemen out. Devon A. Chain shows up in a boot. He wasn't mm-hmm. out there. Evan Stewart gets hurt in this game. They were down to their third string tight end because Max Wright goes down on this weird play where he looks fine. And then all of a sudden you look up and he's being taken away in a stretcher and he's yeah. taken to the local hospital. You're like, oh my God. Like AM finally gets Anthony Johnson back, all bang the drum team member, best defensive player on that team. They get him back for the first time in a month and he balls out. And it just doesn't even matter because they're not good offensively. And when they have all these injuries too, like, it's, it's just a bad combination of things. And then you've got Jimbo out here, like trying to put all these, these very low percentage throws together for Connor, for Connor Wigman. And he was, he had one stretch where he had 13 consecutive incompletions in this game. I mean, yeah. it was terrible. Oh, and here's another little wrinkle that we found out about after the game. They kind of hinted at this on the broadcast, but they didn't have any clarity whatsoever because Jimbo doesn't believe in giving clarity. Um, you had no Moose Muhammad in this one. Why? According to him, he tweeted this out afterwards. He wasn't allowed to play because he wore arm sleeves. I'm going to say that Trump's Mike Leach saying last week that chairs were making his team merely blow a 21 point lead. I'm going to say that's worse. That's when you have a game that you lose by three to get out of bowl eligibility and you're missing like half your team and you're just like, son, you know, what's really important here. All right. It's how you present yourself. All right. It's how you re- how you represent your the stuff that Jimbo Fisher has forgiven in the past. That is very low. I listened to Scott Frost say that his team was soft because they were wearing hoodies before a game. And this is of that same ilk. It's that's that's bad when you're grasping at those kinds of straws and, and you're looking to prove a point in this way and that way. And you're, you're that I mean, it's it's desperation, but it's also not to leave somebody like that who could have helped your football team because mm-hmm. of arm sleeves. I don't know if there's something more there. I don't know if we're going to get the full story, but as of right now, that's what we have. Jimbo has the audacity to show up to multiple games in these Times New Roman font AM sweatshirts <laughs> that look the like they're from the here. Paul Chris line at freaking Walmart. And then he goes out here and he tells a kid that he can't wear protective arm sleeves. What are we doing? What? <laughs> What's the Jimbo best part doing? is I'm sure the retail of those AM custom hoodies is like $500. Everything God. over there is so funny. I'm sorry. I hate to keep laughing, but come on, bro. The mass exodus is coming, man. Like yeah. this is this is bad. Or alternatively, and one of these two situations are going to present themselves, and this is not good either way. 
AM's going to have to dig its heels in even more and shell out even more money to be able to prevent these guys from leaving. That's coming too. Oh man, they put these boys in Florida. They're going to be like, hey, we got to refinance these deals. We got to come back and be like, hey, actually, you're worth more than we thought. Don't worry about it. Wow. That, that's really that's going to happen. That, that's, that's how bad it has gotten. They are three and seven. They are not going to a bowl game and they are going to be the inverse of eight and four. The, I said early it's on, four and eight. <laughs> they're going to be four. Like, I didn't say they're going to be four and eight, but I'm going to, I said early on, like in this season, they're going to be wishing people were making eight and four jokes. They're going to be making, making eight and four jokes, but that's going to be because you're four and eight. Right. That's yeah. bad. It's like, don't you wish me? Hey, you thought, you thought eight and four was bad, buddy. I got something for you. Um, I just want to say, you know, we credited Auburn. We slandered it as we often do. I uh, just want to give a shout out to Tank Bigsby. Uh, I love it when that dude plays football. When he is himself, he plays really well in the, in the, in the wins, in the games, they look good. Hunter looked great too. Yeah. And, yeah. They were, their ru- rushing attack for sure. was awesome. It, it, Ashford, not so much, but I was, I kind of like chuckled to myself because I was like, oh, Bigsby, like they tied for the lead in rushing. Hunter, fewer carriers. You might say it was Hunter. But I was like, oh, wow. Bigsby also led the team in uh, receiving. Wonder how he did 20 yards. So not a balanced attack on the day, but you know, they found their identity, Connor, and they stuck to it. And that's important. That's all that matters, man. Yeah. That is all that matters. And in a game like that, look, now we get we get the Iron Bowl where Auburn, as long as they can beat Western Kentucky, they're going to be playing for bowl eligibility and the Iron Bowl with Cadillac on their side. And you know, as what's has, has Cadillac ever done anything, you know, shown up against Alabama and done anything of relevance or no? Some would say. Some would say. Maybe a little. We, need to, have a, we need to have, like, the SEC needs to have that button, like the Buffalo Wild Wings button, where they could just make a random Auburn game a home game. Because I would love for that, for that Iron Bowl. Because <laughs> I think it's a bright, I'm pretty sure it's a bright day. Because it was between the hedges, or not between the hedges, duh, on the planes, different metaphor. It was on the planes last year. And that was one of the reasons why it was, like, so close. I wish I could make this game also on the planes because it would. Could be wild in that situation. Alternatively, move it to Legion Field. Oh, get it back there. Who says no? Bama says no. Everyone says <laughs> the Legion Field operators like we need like six months to get this place cleaned up. Don't do that. They got the new stadium in Birmingham. They can make that happen, right? Play it at the baseball field. I I love Legion yeah. Field growing up, but anyway. Yeah. Okay. Last game here, Vandy, Kentucky. I saved the best for last. Oh yeah. Vandy is on the board. I think they have been popping champagne for roughly 24 hours. Um, <laughs> that Look, that game, you deserve to celebrate it. You do. And you see Clark Lee dancing afterwards, having a good old time. Uh, I was in my 20s last time that Vandy won an SEC game. Okay. I was so young and naive. Little did I know back in 2019. That, it that was take pre-pandemic. So it was a different world we lived in with Vandy last week. <laughs> it's crazy, man. Uh, before before we knew what COVID was, uh, before Lane was in the SEC, before Pittman was in the SEC. I mean, the SEC was like, what, eight, nine different coaches then Damn. or something? Joe Burrow was in college. <laughs> Joe Burrow was in college. Man, what a thought. I want to give Vandy its praise first because we're going to have some very not flattering things to say about Kentucky. Yeah. Uh, seeing Clark Lee emotional after the game, he's breaking down in tears. Really, really cool to be able to see. Again, it feels good to feel good. 
if you take away nothing from this podcast, that's it. We make mm-hmm. our jokes. People are going to continue to make their jokes. But Vandy just kept coming and coming and coming in this game. Like Mike Wright having that throw on fourth and 11 that mm-hmm. looked like it was just a Hail Mary when it left his hand. And it turns out it's this great route that's run. It's a great little comeback at the end of that route and a great play on the ball to be able to set up their go-ahead touchdown. I mean, it looked so many different times like Kentucky had a play covered and then Mike Wright would just scramble for a first down and pick it up. He was excellent. Dude, was a captain was benched in favor of a true freshman put back into the starting lineup so that he could do stuff like that and by stuff i just mean lead vandy to an sec victory and by god it finally happened the game winner to will shepherd an absolute mm-hmm. dart will shepherd having a really nice season um but clark lee's defense just harassing will levis i thought was the difference in this game the big blue gate had no chance against the vandy fronts and man, what a what a statement that is. They deserve to be able to enjoy that. Their only there is today the day that they finally officially earn the names on the back of their jerseys. Uh, some are saying, some are saying, I think I so. think we can pinpoint this was the day where those names officially not for not for NCAA reasons, but for literal reasons, metaphorical reasons. This is the day. Their only SEC road win since the start of 2017 came against year one Chad Morris. So, a good coach, many acknowledge. Many the best Chad Morris. So much. <laughs> How many people outside of Dabo Sweeney would call Chad Morris a good coach? You know, as much as we kind of like roasted some of the coaching trees, Jeff Scott and Chad Morris from that Clemson tree, buddy, and Venables right Venables now. Right anyway, <laughs> yeah, it's rough. But Vandy is one step closer to becoming the premier program in college football, just as Clark Lee predicted. So shout out to them on the Kentucky side. Mm-hmm. Oh boy, worst loss of the Stoops era, not even close. Not even close. No excuses in this one. You're at home. Levis is out there and healthy enough to play. Chris Rodriguez was back, looking like the best version of himself in the second half where he really started to look like he was going to take over, looked like he was going to have the game-winning touchdown. And you have your defense, a solid Kentucky defense, facing a very one-dimensional Vandy offense, or at least it was one-dimensional, then you made it (laughs) two-dimensional. They, they couldn't even hold a late lead. They couldn't even get the one defensive stand. They had the the, the play that uh, there was a illegal hands to the face that negated the, um, the, the pick that would have sealed it for Kentucky. And then it keeps the drive alive. I mean, just bad, like no sense of urgency on offense, no creativity from play calling rich Gangrello's days are numbered, uh, bad offensive line play, bad quarterback play, bad, bad, bad all around. This is the type of game that Kentucky has avoided under Mark Stoops. It really has. And if Stoops is, trying to to get this collective in order ahead of signing day, knowing mm-hmm. that basketball season is in full swing. You can't have this kind of game. You, you just can't. It, it's a whole lot tougher to make this case that, oh, hey, you know, we're, we're a football school and to do all these different things. It doesn't wipe away what he's been able to build. It doesn't. But man, the timing of this just absolutely suck. And if you don't think that recruits see that stuff, remember, Wanda Robinson was committed to Kentucky out of high school. And then he watched the historic Kentucky 2018 team grind out that three-point win against Vandy. And he said, no, nah, I'm not signing up to play in that offense. No. Mm-hmm. People see this stuff, okay? They do. Rich Gangarello, uh, one and done. Kentucky is going to have his fourth offensive coordinator in as many years. You cannot kids me otherwise at this point. Stoops kind of tiptoed around that afterwards in the postgame presser. But staff changes, they're coming for Kentucky. On a personal note, I felt really bad watching this game play out, and here's why. So for my brother's birthday, which was in September, um, 
I, I got him and his wife uh, tickets for this game. Pretty solid seats. No big deal. Figured, all right, second weekend of November against Vandy. Should be relatively comfortable weather in Lexington. Um, you know, get a, get a nice win at home. And then find out the week of the game, sleet, snow Man. expected, and just about as depressing as any Kentucky loss in a really long time. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that's the only time I've ever bought my brother tickets to a sporting event. And then that Look, happens. now you're off the hook. So you tried to do a nice thing, didn't work. Now you're just cursed and you got to find new gifts. So, hey, you tried. I do, man. If they if they have... I'm not saying that if they had pulled out a win, that would have had to have been like a new every, you know, every year type thing. But um, I'll probably have to refrain, refrain from buying Ryan tickets uh, for games moving forward. Kentucky basketball, maybe. I don't think I'm a jinx there. I, I don't know. Um, they, Connor, they, they had a great time, but still. I oh, have bad. two friends that are Kentucky fans, two like pretty close friends. One's, one's Drew and Drew texted me and he was like, you know, I just don't get too wrapped up in this team anymore. Cause I know not, not like they get wrapped up, but like in the losses. Cause he's like, cause I know that sometimes they just have games like this. My other buddy just goes worse period than period St. Period Peterson. And my- <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> it was two very yeah. different head spaces. I was like, okay, <laughs> this is a lot, lots happening here. Kentucky fans. What if I told you on January 1st, 2022, that this year, you would lose to St. Peter's in the NCAA tournament and you would lose to Vandy in a tackle football game. Yeah. Oh, that's rough. That's going to be a tough pill to swallow. Not great. I hate to say it again, but you know, Cal was just watching that game with some popcorn crackle. No. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> Come on. You know they have beef. You know he's like, yeah, you were making fun of me. I see how it goes. But yeah, yeah. no, I mean, we love Stoops, man. We love Kentucky. We have been on their thing. Like we, we're, we've been on like that wave for a long time. And I think that we saw the flaws in this team. We talked about they just never put it together. Losing your doppelganger, I think, had a lot to do with that. Liam Cohen seems like seems like his NFL offense has not been awesome. It seems like he was that really offensive good. line. Yeah, yeah. See, there you go. That's, point being, like you know, and obviously lost Whitworth and those boys. But point being, like it's just that that coordinator hire, you know, not having C Rod for a minute, having an offensive line that just kind of forgot how to play football. It's been rough for them. And yeah, I mean, this is one of those that. Kentucky has really high, really high highs, really low lows, but this is kind of the experience. And I know, like you said, this one does stick out because it's bad. You know, they've had some early ones uh, early when they were not building anything, but it's just another done experience to be a Kentucky fan. My heart goes out to those guys because, uh, you know, it's it's this consistently very good or sorry, the consistency like above average. It's like, OK, we can be we can fly close to the sun, but then we're going to have these. It's just kind of heartbreaking because they they care, man. That plan base is really starting to get involved. Yeah, and it's it's all relative to expectations. Above expectations, right. it feels like so often Kentucky is going above expectations, and, mm-hmm. and pretty rarely does it feel like they are that below expectations, mm-hmm. what that baseline is. Okay, week 11 was great. Very entertaining day, start to finish. It's cake week coming up. So I'm going oh, to yeah. get a little bit creative with the midweek pod. We're still going to have games to be able to, to preview and whatnot and talk about. We'll talk maybe some big picture storylines, a little bit of Heisman discussion that we're going to get into. But if you have not, leave us a five-star review. Subscribe to this podcast. Join the Facebook group. Your name right on air with Figure It Out or Bold and Brash. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.